Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our public confession this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. As we enter the season of Advent today, I would like to look at the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. The description from Isaiah starts with his arrival as a child, a son given to us. Born like us, he said, accepted. The second descriptor tells us that the government, or the sovereignty and rule, will rest on his shoulders. Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and he rules the nations with a rod of iron, King of kings and Lord of lords. As we come through an election season, where we see the open rebellion of man, and the destruction of life and shrine of the law, we need to be reminded that Jesus is reigning. We need to confess like Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel, saying, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Our hope needs to be found in him, not in our own schemes, our own wisdom. We need to seek wisdom from our wonderful counselor, who can provide us above all that we can ask or imagine, confessing that he is mighty God and our Prince of Peace. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Well, come, let us worship. Messiah, the form of music for 
for the Messiah is called an oratorio. We don't hear about oratorios an awful lot today, but it's simple to think about an oratorio as an opera that doesn't have the drama that goes with it. But it is to tell a story, often a sacred story, uh, by using the scriptures. And in fact, in this case, the focus of the of attention is the Messiah. So the text of the Messiah, that's called the, the fancy Italian word, music, you know, musical words, forte, piano. The libretto that is that forms the Messiah is 100% scripture. And that while today we we will start with the major and the minor prophets, we'll focus on passages there. In the weeks to come, Pastor Steve will pick up and consider passages from the Gospels, from Psalms, from the Epistles, all the way to the book of Revelation. There are 60 in all to choose from. Uh, I don't know if Pastor Steve's plan is to go through all 60 or not. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, today, what I'd like to do is to, is to make our focus the first six scripture passages that are in, in the Messiah. But in essence, this piece of music tells the story of Jesus using the very text of Scripture. It, it just doesn't get better than that. So as we start with Isaiah 40, one of, one of, the, uh, uh, one of the Scripture readings we heard this morning, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough plains, the rough places of plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The theme of this first of six passages we're going to look at today is comfort from God. We've sung about comfort. We've seen this passage come before. Again, a bit of context for Isaiah. You'll know that Isaiah was written about 680 years before the birth of Christ. It, it places this 200 years after the kingdom was split into two. The larger northern kingdom called Israel, the, the smaller southern kingdom called Judah, they were, and Judah was the one that retained the Davidic line of kings and the capital city of Jerusalem. But there are three dimensions with that context that I think are important to note from Isaiah 40. It's not just a sentimental kind of hug comfort. You know, I comfort somebody because they hurt their finger, or they tripped, or they, or they didn't do well at something. It's comfort based on Almighty God that has seismic importance for us in this life and in the life to come. The three dimensions that are called out in this passage are one, God through Isaiah refers to, his, to the people as my people. God has claimed his people as his possession. That brings comfort to his people. Just like you, children, when your mom and dad say, you're mine, that should bring comfort to you. God has done that for his people. The destruction and relocation and attacks from outside, the trauma that was going on there, 
did not separate God's covenant people from God. Second, in this passage, not just comfort, not just possession, but forgiveness. Her guilt, that is the penalty of sin, has been removed. So certainly, starting with the good news, which will be explained more fully, this is Isaiah 40, explained more fully as we get to Isaiah 53. And then thirdly, there will be return. Exiles are given the hope of return. So that's good news for his people, but it also reflects the great glory of God that he knows what's going to be happening in the future. So comfort the people, Isaiah 40. Next on to Haggai. So Haggai is the third from the last of your Old Testament books. It's very deep within those the minor prophets. And Haggai 2, 6 and 7, as, as Tim shared with us this morning, reads as follows. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet, once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Here, the theme of Haggai 2 is encouragement from God's promise of blessing. So a promise is something that will happen in the future. Be encouraged about what's going to happen in the future. The prophecy that's thought to have fulfillment in both the defeat of, this, this prophecy rather, is thought to have been fulfilled in the defeat of Persia by the Greeks, which shortly followed the writing of this, uh, of this text in 520 BC. But it ultimately for us points to the future judgment of the cosmos as in verse, as verse 6 is actually quoted in Hebrews 12. I love many of these passages because we see the understanding, the interpretation, and the application in the New Testament quotation. We see Haggai 2.6 quoted in Hebrews 12 by the author of Hebrews. This language is dramatic. Uh, it's earth-shaking, in fact, and includes everything that's prized for every nation as well. The wealth, whatever they care about is included in the mix here. And God's actions will come. And God will be unmistakable as He comes. Pastor Calvin, John Calvin, as, as he was thinking about this passage, he thought about the fact that, you know, there are going to be problems immediate to us today. Don't make today's issues, problems, and challenges your only focus. Understand that we can have absolute confidence and hope in what's coming for the future of God's covenant people. So don't be tainted by present circumstances. Don't be locked in by present circumstances. Don't be short-sighted or superficial. It's important to be able to have the big picture, the long-term view, which is exactly what Haggai is helping us with here. The second passage, encouragement from God's promise of blessing. Third, moving to the last book of the Old Testament, the last of the minor prophets, Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 1 to 3. Behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
For he is like a refiner's fire, like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Here, the focus of attention in Malachi 3 is hope and an expectation of the coming of the Messiah and a call to repent that goes with that. So this is a little more complicated. We can have hope. We should look forward to His coming. But there is also a call to repentance. It starts with this message of hope, whose arrival is preceded by a messenger. Here we see the reference and we see the interpretation of John the Baptist being exactly that messenger. And it was typical of this day that a messenger would announce the arrival of a dignitary or royalty. Specifically, Jesus explains this exact fulfillment when he identifies John in Matthew 11. One of those other passages that where the New Testament draws on the richness and the prophecy of the Old and says this is the fulfillment. This is what you are waiting for right here, Matthew 11. Can you imagine having grown up in a synagogue, having been taught about this messenger who would, who would come, you would hear about Malachi 3, and then all of a sudden Jesus reveals, it's that guy over there. It's John the Baptist. Wow. That's a, a mind-blown kind of moment. And that's what, we're, that's what we're hearing about here in terms of anticipating the birth of Jesus. And then it shifts to the seriousness of the situation that we're told in verse 2 to expect refining that refinement, that wrath and mercy with an accompanying call for repentance. So refinement doesn't happen all by itself. It doesn't happen to us. God gives us the gift of repentance, the gift of turning from, what, from our own way to His way, the gift of changing because we know that we shouldn't be doing our way. We should be going His and after all, refining and cleaning are spoken of here in line of repentance and saving faith. Repentance accompanies saving faith. Later in the chapter, Malachi tells us that in fact, some did in his lifetime in fact repent. So what a, what a glorious thing that is. Moving on to passages that we didn't read in the, in the early scripture reading, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. If there was even one verse that you could preach on all four Sundays of, of Advent, it might be Isaiah 7, 14. It tells the whole story. To grasp the full meaning of the passage, it might be helpful to understand its context in the chapter, chapter 7. So in the first part of Isaiah chapter 7, we learn that King Ahaz of Judah is terrified that the northern kingdom is forming an alliance with Syria. This is the, the context. And, and they are intent on destroying the southern kingdom. Here, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, there's a threat going on. In verse 2, it says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook like the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They are afraid of war and rumors of war. In fact, from their cousins up north. God sends Isaiah to Ahaz to tell him that they will not be successful against Ahaz and Judah. 
What an incredible prophecy at that time. You don't need to be afraid because they won't be successful. God, who knows the end of the story from the beginning, comforts them with these incredible truths and then moves on to focus on the future. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. What precious words. What amazing words. When Matthew tells the birth of, of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25, you guessed it, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. It couldn't be much clearer that the virgin will conceive. This has only happened once in the history of mankind. And your son is God with us. God and man. Incredible, rich, dense uh, meaning here in Isaiah 7, 14. God with us. Isaiah 60 then pans out and, and takes out the telescope and looks into the far future. Isaiah 61 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light is come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Here, the big idea of Isaiah 60, the first few verses, is that the glory of the Lord, not for Jews only, but for the entire earth. Foreshadowing the fact that Gentiles would be ministered to and called into the kingdom of God, as, as we learned in the New Testament. Here we find a reference to the ultimate Zion. This is the new heavens and the new earth, where Jews will be joined with other nations, right here in the passage, and will behold the glory of the Lord. Isaiah has the ultimate new heavens and new earth in mind, with light and brightness based on God's glory. And then our last, the last passage, we've been through five, one more for today, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. <coughs> for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here the big idea of Isaiah 9 is God with us is our light, our hope. Echoing some of the things that we've heard from the other passages. In verse 2, the darkness is not really the absence of light, that is, the kind of light that we use our eyes uh, to see. Rather, darkness within or despair. This is, a, this is a, a, a way of thinking, a way of being. It does not have to do with, with optics. In Matthew 4, as he recounts the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Matthew cites the fulfillment of this, this passage that Jesus is this great light. So again, it isn't about having lights on or being in, in darkness physically. It's about despair or, or being encouraged. Verse 6 is also rich with meaning, and we'll spend a bit of time unpacking it. Not so differently than, than how Tim did as in our call to confession today. This child who would be of the house of David, remember that, that house of 
House of David kept the Davidic king blind in Judah, whose authority the northern kingdom had rejected for centuries. The four royal names that follow each represent a key role that this child will play in the restoration of the northern kingdom, Israel. Wonderful counselor. Here, the focus is on a strategist. It's on orchestrating an amazing victory for his people. Mighty God, God is our warrior, emphasizes the power of God to bring about the rescue of his people. Everlasting Father, in addition to a reference to the Trinity, this title refers to the Son's role as the Father of the nation and his care for the nation. And Prince of Peace, his reign will be so effective as to usher in peace. What an incredible collection of, of future-looking prophecy that comes from that. So as we, as we wrap up this view of these first six verses that we find in, in Thomas Messiah, I'd like to retrace our steps for a moment and, and get back to Messiah. So if you're like me, you might love and appreciate the great music that comes with this oratorio. Maybe you've even sung it in a choir. I've heard word that some of you have done that sometime in, in your lives. Maybe you even planned to do it this year. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is how the Messiah came to be. How did we come to have it as we have it today? Well, it started, or I'm going to start the story, with notes about the great English reformer, Thomas Cranmer. So Thomas Cranmer was, you know, you, this, in popular culture we see this uh, sometimes. You know, if someone says something and you don't agree with it, you can change a word or two and you fix it. Well, Thomas Cranmer fixed the Book of Common Prayer. The Book of Common Prayer was out there, but it had been laced with theological error. So as an English reformer, what Cranmer did was he fixed problems that were doctrinally wrong with the, with the Book of Common Prayer, which was a collection of prayers and liturgies that are used in the church calendar. That's what it is. He fixed it as a part of the reformation of the church. Several hundred years after, he, after Cranmer finished his work, this man who you might not have ever heard of before, Charles Jennings, was born in the year 1700. This Oxford-educated Christian man became friends with Handel. Here he was in England. Handel was in England as well. And drawing heavily from the Book of Common Prayer. That's why I mentioned it before. There was a Book of Common Prayer. Cranmer fixed it. Uh, Jennings was familiar with it. Jennings penned the libretto, the text of the Messiah, almost exclusively from the Book of Common Prayer. So he saw the organization and the value of this important part of, of church liturgy and drew passages that were found mostly in the Book of Common Prayer. His libretto was the spark for Handel's masterpiece. We wouldn't have the Messiah if it were not for Charles Jennings. So how did this all work? Did Handel say, hey, Charles, good friend, sitting and drinking a beer dinner one night, why don't you do this and I'll do this? That's not at all what happened. 
what happened is that Jennings thought, this is a good idea. I'm going to write a libretto that focuses on the Messiah from the Book of Common Prayer. He completed his work, and then what did he do? He handed it off to Handel and said, here it is. Here's a libretto for you to write an oratorio. You know what, what Handel did with that? He dropped everything and wrote the Messiah? No. It sat on his shelf for a year and a half. Here Jennings had poured his heart into doing this and sat on, on the shelf for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, almost inexplicably, Handel woke up one day and said, I'm going to, I'm going to put these words to music and to complete this libretto and, and into an oratorio. And, I'm going to, and he did it in three weeks' time. If you're familiar with the 90 minutes and the complexity of, of the Messiah, you'll understand that that's quite a feat to do the composition of the Messiah in, in three weeks. But it was sitting there waiting for him because Jennings took the initiative to do that. So for those of you who are children here today, and I, I want to speak specifically to you children because this is important. This is a great example of the importance of study, especially spiritual things. Jennings was a student of the Bible, among, among many other things as a youth. And he didn't just forget it all. In fact, he applied it, so he was an Oxford student through the age of 16. He wrote the libretto when he was in his early 40s. He didn't forget about it all. He applied it later in his life. So study hard and, and keep up with these things will benefit you in the long run. And then for all of us, adults and children alike, I think it tells us also the story of initiative. That is, taking a step without being asked or told. And I know that many wonderful things happen in our body here because many people do things without being asked or told. Jennings wasn't, as I mentioned, wasn't ordered or commissioned to write the Messiah. He wrote it in the hope that Handel would eventually put it to music. Jennings delivered it to Handel, and like I said, it sat for over a year. Jennings also learned patience in that process. He had to understand who, who Handel was. He had to understand that, indeed, he was going to have to wait for him to do his work. It was going to happen when it was going to happen. But he had to exercise patience as well. So maybe that's a, a third sort of takeaway from this this minor situation back in the 1740s. But back to the text. At the start of the church calendar here, at the start of the four Sundays of Advent, we see that our posture is to be one of anticipation, one of expectation, one of preparation for the celebration of the incarnation of the Son, Jesus Christ. If you do, in fact, listen to or sing along with the Messiah during the Advent season, my hope is that you'll do so with a bit more understanding, a bit more uh, sense for what sits behind these scripture passages. Oh, okay. 
these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's the reading of God's word. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we remember the sacrifice that was accomplished for us, the self-giving of our Lord for his people. We remember that this sacrifice was both glorious and effective, that all that were given to the Son would have eternal life. This passage from Jesus' high priestly prayer reminds us that our King and Savior was glorious before the world began, and His obedience to the Father through the Incarnation and His death on the cross was also glorifying to the Father. Let us come to this meal then thankful, joyful that Christ has all authority and power, and that all glory rests with our perfect Savior and our King and our great High Priest, Jesus Christ. Let us receive Christ and rest on Him for our salvation today. We invite the Lord's table all those who are baptized under the authority of Christ and His body in the church, by eating the bread and drinking the wine with us who are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope, except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Come here, children, and welcome the Lord Jesus Christ. body of Christ, broken for you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.